Oh, I suppose someone's going to have a little victory lap after that Eagles pick over the Cowboys. Welcome to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM, Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, Aaron Hawksworth here with you from 9 to noon Eastern on the BetQL Network. Listen to the show on the Odyssey app. Watch the show on twitch.tv slash BetQL and YouTube, and follow us on X at BetQL Daily. Hey, joining us on the program today, Odyssey NFL insider Jason Lockenfora tells us who can boast the most impressive performance from week nine. And then at 1020 Eastern time, Jim Root from the three-man weave will dive into college hoops with a season opening today. But first, boy, it was a week for the favorites in week nine. They go 10-2 and two straight up, 8-4 and four against the spread, including the Cowboys and Eagles. Philadelphia covers the minus three, barely by multiple occasions. Still, though, they win 28 to 23. This game goes over the 46 and a half. CeeDee Lamb with an outstanding performance. Dallas Goddard has a bit of an injury that perhaps we shall bring up here. But, Joe, did the Eagles win this more than the Cowboys lost this? Or was this just simply a game of inches where it really could have gone either way? Yeah, probably uh, column A, column B, a little bit of both. I mean, Dallas did outgain them by over 100 yards. Uh, Philly failed to get to that 300-yard mark. You know, we can nitpick on the Eagles all we want, but in the end, they're 8-1. and one. And I know people in the Philadelphia area are doing just that. Uh, in the end, you guys are 8-1 and one right now, so it's a little challenging to do that. Now, the schedule that they have coming up – some of those are going to end up being losses. But, I mean, you want to talk about game of inches. The rock-solid number that we had all offseason, all season, and until it closed yesterday was three. And if Dak's foot is two inches to the left, he gets that two-point conversion, and we probably end up with a push on this number. So I, I do think that if you're being honest and you're a Philly's backer, Philly backer yesterday – that you probably got lucky with the cover that it was going to be a push. But, man, the C.D. Lamb (laughs) train continues. He has Mm -hmm. been uh, phenomenal. And, you know, Hurts, the connection he has with his top two receivers every time he goes to them, it's uh, it is quite efficient. The last last couple weeks when you see one incomplete pass to A.J. and Devontae, it's like, yeah, just just keep on going to them. Eagles fly, Eagles fly. All I wanted to do was text you guys Eagles emojis, and I've learned my lesson from my past mistakes in the group chat, so I refrained, and I'm so excited as the Eagles backer on the show. They'll probably end up losing when this goes back to Dallas AT&T Stadium, which that is where the Cowboys play very well, and they play four of their next five games there, and they've won 11 straight Mm -hmm. there, so I will be a realist. The Eagles' upcoming schedule is very difficult, where the Cowboys might have a little easier, even though they're two and a half games back. This could be tighter if they get some help from Philly moving forward, but they... The Cowboys' defense, how elite is it? How good is it? Because they did give up some yardage to the Eagles. Maybe that's something they need to work on moving forward. It always felt to me like the Cowboys-Eagles series would finish with a split. 
that somehow the Eagles would find a way to win at home and the Cowboys would eventually find a way to win at home. So I think in that respect, you know, this is kind of steady as she goes. Now, if this next game in several weeks uh, turns out to be in Philadelphia's favor, okay, then that's different. Yes, the Eagles are going to the division. They might get the one seed uh, in all likelihood because they already have that lead there. All of that's fine. But when it comes to the whole CeeDee Lamb conversation, can he finish as the receiving leader? Well, 11 receptions, 191 yards, uh, catch rate over expected of 12.2%. Does have a long way to go to become the league's receiving leader, trailing Tyreek Hill by approximately 250 yards. But also, he's trailing A.J. Brown by more than 100 receiving yards over expected. Lamb also hasn't been a great yak over expected receiver. And... Yes, this Cowboys offense has evolved over the last couple of weeks, and it leads me to believe that, yes, Dallas, you know, far be it for me to think that this fort, that, that 49ers loss from a few weeks ago was spelling disaster. The Cowboys are more than formidable enough to win the NFC East, more than formidable enough to make the playoffs. All that is fine. But when it comes to CeeDee Lamb and can he finish as the receiving leader, is it possible, though, that the best receiver on the field Sunday – was not wearing a Cowboys uniform, and maybe a certain Philadelphia Eagle is the best receiver and will finish as a receiving leader by season's end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it could come down to either of these guys. This is something that, that's wide open, and many people will get to it. Expected Tyreek to snap against his former team. He did not do that in that game. Great game plan against him. And it's funny, like, as far as receivers, it, it's been all about Tyreek for much of the season. And now we're talking about these two guys going back and forth in the NFC East. And this is not something that's trendy or it's just a couple of weeks. I mean, for A.J. Brown, it's been a couple of months. For C.D. Lamb, it's been a month of domination. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's still pretty wide open, you know, at this point with almost half a season still left to go. But, I mean, Joe, you were talking about betting C.D. Lamb, and he just keeps doing his thing. Did yeah, you end up off- betting I did. Offensive player at 75-1. to one. I saw this morning there was still one rogue 75-1, to one, but a lot of places are down to uh, 30, somewhere in that mm-hmm. range for offensive player. Yeah, and, and I suppose at 30, like, I don't know if the value is quite there just because, again, nah. there are other receivers, you know, A.J. Brown, you know, most notably. Also, too, Lamb trailing Brown and target share and team air yard share. Definitely, I think the Cowboys are are more persistent when it comes to getting other guys involved. Jake Ferguson, uh, most notably the tight end for the Cowboys. They want to get him a good bit more involved. Not sure that's going to be the case with the Eagles, especially with Dallas Goddard's injury. Definitely feels like Brown is going to be even more of a focal point for Philadelphia going forward. So Mm -hmm. backing A.J. Brown early and often, definitely think that's the play there. How about we talk about Sunday night football? We've got the Bengals and the Bills and Cincinnati Boy, they continue to roll. They win 24 to 18. They cover all the numbers. This game goes under. Joe Burrow, 348 yards, two touchdowns. But is that enough for serious MVP consideration, Joe? 100%. 100%. This is, this is what he is, man. He's, he's back. The calf injury, if you were holding out any hope, like, oh, man, maybe I'm not 100% sure San Francisco was expected to have a dud. Let's see him back-to-back weeks instead of after the bye. Well, we saw it again. We saw it again. He's absolutely in consideration. I saw this morning that he was the fifth favorite. The best number you can get out there is 9-1 to one for the MVP. I think his number should be shorter. 
And I maybe part of that is because of the lack of numbers that were posted in the first month due to the injury. If the record is there, and it's obviously because of him, 348, two touchdowns and a big spot last night, you go back-to-back weeks and take down San Francisco and Buffalo. Back-to-back weeks out of the bye is awesome. Two weeks ago, it was 50-1. to We had that conversation. Like, look, if he comes out and he looks like the old Burrow, they win these games, he's going to be in the mix. I would put him top three. There's some maneuvering that I would make with those odds, but I understand there's been a lot of movement over the last couple of weeks. He went from 50 to 20, and then it was cut again in half uh, after last night from 20 down to nine. Some spots have it at seven to one. I would put Burrow in the top three. Mm-hmm. This is why you need to listen to BetQL Daily on a regular basis. Joe's been telling you, watch out for Burrow. The number's going to get shorter. And here we are Monday morning. Sure enough, you know, it's happening. Burrow and the Bengals have won four straight. And now they've got some momentum. Burrow seems healthy. And he's been there before. This isn't like a fluke. They're not frauds. Like this number will get shorter. What better place to get betting advice than BetQL Daily? According to these BetQL Daily hosts, nowhere. Absolutely, that's uh, the play there. Okay, I actually want to disagree and push back on this idea that Joe Burrow's numbers should be shorter and that there's value at 9-1 to and BetMGM, all of that stuff. So let's just look at the last two weeks and look at that as what is truly representative of what we're going to see from Joe Burrow for the rest of the season, which I think is fair. I think what we've seen the last two weeks, yeah, Joe Burrow's going to be fantastic and the Bengals are going to be fantastic. I think that's fine. But in the last two weeks, Joe Burrow has ranked fourth in passer rating, fourth in completion percentage over expected, fourth in success rate. Yeah, he's back, but he's not the best in any one of these metrics. The MVP attention is nice, but the value isn't there. And I think part of the problem is that We're clouding our judgment with what the Bengals have done the last couple of years, especially what they've done late in regular seasons, to where we believe, okay, this is going to be a continuing of an uptick. And I look at this and go, yeah, Joe Burrow's great, but he's not the best. He's not performing like, say, you know, Lamar Jackson has, who's been going nuts as of late. Uh, You know, even Pat Mahomes, you know, being bereft of a lot of significant wide receiver talent. Yeah, that was a close game in Germany, which we'll get to in a minute, but he still performed more than admirably to where I think he should be the favorite for MVP. And so while I think Burrow has been fantastic, I think the other thing, too, is that the Bengals defense has also been on a massive uptick. They've also improved at roughly the same pace, if not an even greater pace than what Joe Burrow has. And so I think it's more of a collective team effort where if you want to back the Bengals, back them in terms of team futures, I wouldn't do it with Joe Burrow individually. Yeah, but if he's going to get knocked for his defense being top five, let's do it for everyone. Let's talk about Lamar and say he's got the best defense in the NFL. Let's do it with the Chiefs. Like We can't just give Mahomes all the credit and say, oh, yeah, by the way, as they keep asking him, is this the best defense you've ever had, best defense you've ever had? He's like, yeah, no doubt. It's the best defense in the NFL. So, of course, it's the best defense I've ever had. So why why are we choosing to, to knock Burrow if we're not going to knock some of these other guys? And, by the way, part of, part of my thinking there is Hurts is clearly hobbled. 
And that was the case last week. And he went down again yesterday, too, at some point. Does anybody believe that Jalen Hurts, who's a co-favorite at some spots, is going to make it the entire season? That's why he didn't win it last year, because he couldn't make it the entire season. I don't believe he will with, with half a season to go. Also, I, I mean, good either, point about but... the other defenses. Yeah, I, I mean, Andy Reid also yeah, said I mean, this is the, the thing, best Aaron. defense in the NFL. And I think the point was we were saying bet Burrow early. Like in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking mm-hmm. about this, not saying bet him today. Maybe some of the value is gone, but I still yeah. believe that number could get shorter. Oh, it will. No, it, it will if this continues. It will get shorter. Absolutely. And and Aaron, I, I completely agree with you. Like if you're going to pounce on it, you should have done it by now. I'm saying now that at nine to one, I don't like the value at all. Even though he's, you know, currently fourth or fifth on the list, I don't like where it is because for me to believe that Burrow really is a true MVP candidate. Yeah. His defense has been great. Yeah. All these other defensive, uh, you know, MVP, all these other defenses representing MVPs have been great as well. Aside from say Tua, uh, but other than that, I go, you know, so what? Joe Burrow's numbers have not been the best. And I need to see the best or second best for me to feel comfortable that he is an MVP caliber uh, candidate. And I think what we also have seen is that, and this is something we definitely need to bring up, is uh, with the whole Tua situation, like he's not getting a whole heck of a lot of help from his defense. And he's he went up against another really good team and things didn't turn out well for him. And so mm-hmm. there's, there hadn't been a whole lot of value in Tua for a long time. And it's only getting worse because the narrative of how he performs against good competition, against good defenses that continues to persist. And I don't know if it's going to get resolved anytime soon, Joe. Yep. His offense put up 14 points in front of everyone, everyone. Mm-hmm. There's supposed to be this explosion and, okay, we've got two of the top five offenses going on and people are waking up to that game on Sunday morning and expecting an over. A lot of people talked about an over or just a high scoring affair. And then there was none of that yesterday. So I, yeah, I certainly expect that to ding him and his number is going to come down a little bit. And you know, the other part is people love bro. I think a lot, a lot of decided he's going to be an MVP at some point. And then, and right now they're trying to figure out, is it going to be this year? Is, it, is there enough time for him, uh, even with the struggles with the calf early on? I also think Tua and the Dolphins need to play well against good teams. And that's where their yep. L's have come. Exactly. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, we continue our Week 9 autopsy including how good the Baltimore Ravens really are. That's coming up right here on the BetQL Network.
presented by BetMGM with Joe Ostrowski, Ed Egros, and Aaron Hawksworth from BetQL. And now, can they win it? Trout to the end zone. Touchdown! Take Dell! C.J. Stroud leads a magical drive. I feel bad that wasn't a Nico Collins play there, Aaron. My apologies. Welcome back to BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM, Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth here with you. We will get to C.J. Stroud mania. We'll also get to the Ravens mania in just a bit. But first, I have one more point that I want to make about the Miami Dolphins and their lackluster performances against stiff competition. And I think this Mm -hmm. matters here in terms of how to bet on them going forward because, yeah, we've heard this a lot uh, throughout the course of Sunday. The Dolphins can't beat good teams. Well, the question is, why? Let me turn into a two-year-old here through that case of the whys and say why over and over again until it gets obnoxious. Well, here's the thing. Against sub-500 teams, Tua has a passer rating of 114.8, completion percentage 2.5%. Everything is great. But against these good teams, all of those numbers go down in large part because, A, Tua takes a lot more sacks trying to make something out of nothing, and he takes a lot more sacks against good defenses. But the bigger thing to me is that he's always trying to target Tyreek Hill almost regardless of the situation. And against weaker defenses, targeting Tyreek Hill is largely a good idea. But against good defenses, he has a negative total EPA when targeting Tyreek Hill. He needs to get other receivers involved and needs to diversify the portfolio a little bit for this offense to continue to be fantastic going up against the best of the best. Defenses know how to game plan against one really good receiver. And so, Joe, going forward, I think the lesson to be learned with the Dolphins is that, yeah, they could perhaps win the AFC East still and perhaps win a game or two in the playoffs. But I would like to fade Tyreek Hill against good defenses because Mm. for Miami to beat them, they're going to have to use other guys. That number was ridiculous yesterday. I took a look in the morning uh, before the game kicked off. His receiving prop was up to 93 and a half. 93 and a half. Who knows what it ended up closing at? It, it was just ridiculously high. But uh, yeah, that's a good way to go against it. I mean, part of my Casey handicap was, was about this. Good teams, mm-hmm. they don't beat them. Uh, so they've now lost six in a row against teams above 500. Their last win against the team above 500 was week three of 2022, last year, week number three. That's the last wow. time they beat a team that was above 500. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you want to continue with that, I don't have a problem. But I'd also say, even though they only put 14 on the board, the difference in the game was that play by Trent McDuffie on Tyreek. When they, they had the strip and then they <laughs> – they hand it off they, to the teammates and they go down the go down the sideline and it's 21 nothing um yeah we probably offensive struggles sure but like Kansas City did barely beat them and Patrick Mahomes is like we got to get this fixed we got to get this fixed we're entering week 10 and the Chiefs are still saying we got to get this fixed yeah the other thing going back to Tyreek Hill is 
we were talking about this being a Raheem Mostert game, and it was. He mm-hmm. flew over his prop of 45 and a half with 85 yards. And, you know, we had talked about how teams can run against the Chiefs defense, even though they are really good. That is one area where opposing teams have had some success. So I like the point, Ed, about, you know, if it is a good team and a good defense, maybe look to go under on Tyreek or look for someone else to get more of the volume. And I think the approach, too, suggests, okay, well, maybe Miami can turn things around against good teams. Maybe that's still possible, but it's not going to happen by constantly feeding Tyreek Hill the football. It's going to be with other receivers. And so if you think given matchup or power ratings or whatever that they can beat this good defense, like, you know, having to look at the schedule, you'd have to figure that out. But if you think they can beat a good defense – don't back Tyreek Hill in those situations. Back other receivers to go over those props. I think that's kind of the winning way, and that's probably how I would well, attack it going I, forward. I would, yeah, Joe. I, I that that's certainly fair, and I would just add that if you believe that, mm-hmm. you're probably going to have to set a note somewhere, like remind, put something on yeah. the calendar, because the next time they face a good team is Christmas Eve. Okay, and and they're going to yeah. close with Dallas, Baltimore, Buffalo, three tough teams. But until then. Mm-hmm. They're going on by, and then it's Vegas, the Jets, the Commanders, the Titans, the Jets again. So uh, we'll we'll have to put Are something in sure the calendar Vegas maybe to bad? remind ourselves. Yes, I'm positive. <laughs> yeah. They can ride. They can ride this wave for a little bit, but once we get, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I want to see what happens next. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm, they're, I'm pretty they're... sure they're. I'm They're one sure out of five it. cigars good. Yeah. If, if the Yelp yeah. reviews out of how many cigars, I like color in like Bowl. one and a half cigars for Vegas. Yeah. Oh my God. The coverage on that. Did you see the locker room stuff yesterday? Yes. After that game, yeah. like, I loved, I loved it actually. It's so Raiders. So over the top. I, I mean, you beat a l- terrible listen. team and you're celebrating <laughs> like that. I love it. Uh, all you need to do is face Tommy DeVito every week. It's easy. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Figured out. Yeah. Hey, like uh, we got Josh Dobbs bouncing from one team to the next. Maybe uh, Tommy DeVito can yeah. do the same, and the Raiders can just time it just right. So let's not say it can't happen from one week to the next. When there's a will, there's a way in this league. We'll figure it out. Hey, how about we talk about the Baltimore Ravens? They destroy another NFC playoff contenders, 37-3 to to the Seahawks. Like, yes, we've had some questions about Seattle, but goodness gracious, the Ravens look fantastic. Keaton Mitchell, nine carries, 138 yards and a touchdown. My goodness, Seattle, one of 12 on third down. Everything went right for Baltimore. But, Joe, the question is, are the Ravens the best team in the AFC now? I think you can ask the NFL. It's a legitimate question. If we're doing power rankings today, I don't think we need to get creative this week when we do it on Wednesday. I wouldn't fight anyone that said, you know what? I think the Ravens are number one. They're number one right now. You can come up with a number of teams in the league right now. uh, But top of the list, Ravens and Bengals, they're the hottest two couple teams yeah i'd say the hottest two teams in the league going right now now we have other part of the year to take a look at my god it was just we knew we know it was a drubbing it was never a ball game i was on the wrong side of this one seattle got just whooped but 515 to 151 in yardage 
515 to 151. <laughs> 6.9 yards per play. They have the best defense going right now. I guess the Browns have competition. Uh, Browns were awesome yesterday, too. I mean, neither defense gave up a touchdown. Browns uh, have, have their shutout against an awful quarterback themselves. But, man, it, it isn't just Lamar, though, too. That's something else we have to keep in mind. The run game is fantastic. Defense, of course, just everywhere you look outside of Odell Beckham, all you can do is uh, give the Ravens their flowers. Yeah, Gus Edwards had a game. Bummed I didn't look at his props. But the Ravens' defense, fewest points allowed, 13.8 per game. That's the best Mm -hmm. mark um, in the first nine weeks since that historic 2000 defense, according to ESPN. So really impressive what they're doing defensively as well. Who's Keaton Mitchell? We are... He was the rushing leader he? for the week. Yeah, he was the Sunday leader yeah. in rushing. I don't even I know that, that they posted odds on, on that. <laughs> yeah, why, why didn't like, you get him, Joe? Because <laughs> I don't think Come they posted on, guys. it. There's no way I'm there were gone odds for on just that. Just a few days, and you guys just completely forget about Keaton Mitchell. Yes. She, Who is he? Yeah. Who is he? I didn't know a lot of players yesterday. I didn't know Clayton Toon. I didn't know who the hell that was, and we, we found out. <laughs> well, for you good don't reason. need to. Uh, don't 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 waste that bandwidth on that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are a lot of players getting some run. I'm like, I you know, I follow sports Kate a lot. Otten. We talk a lot of football. Kate Otten, everybody knew yesterday with his two plus touchdowns. Can't be laughing at that. Come on My now, man. no way. <laughs> no Surrey Bob. What we're learning, though, about Keaton Mitchell and what we're learning about the Ravens and what we're learning about the importance of offense in the National Football League is the importance of outside runs and how indicative they are of overall success. Because when you have a lead, if you can run to the outside consistently, then you can maintain that lead. And that's what we're seeing from the Ravens, whether it's Keaton Mitchell or anybody else. For the (laughs) season, the Ravens are second in total rushing yards over expected fifth and rushing yards over expected per carry on outside runs per next-gen stats. Dolphins are leading the way in both stats, but I look at this and say, you know what? If you can run to the outside with any kind of consistency, when you have a lead, you are going to keep that lead. Look at the other offenses that can do this, the Colts, the 49ers, and the Titans. These are offenses I look to when I say, okay, if they have a lead, I trust them to keep that lead, and that's really important in terms of live betting opportunities. Yep. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't argue that one at all. And the Ravens after this mm-hmm. game are going to get a lot of the, a lot of the coverage because they deserve it the way they're playing right now. I mean, what, what a division that is. Oh my goodness. Like after Thursday, we're, we're having the, and it's a realistic and fair conversation about the Steelers making the playoffs entering yesterday. They were sitting there as, as the five seed and right now it's the entire division, right? Yeah. The entire mm-hmm. division's in the playoffs. Entire division. Like, we, we know that's probably, thing. yeah, it's, that's <laughs> it. Um, what about the losing side? What are the Seahawks? What do we do with them? What do we do? Honestly, I, I don't what? know how to read them. I don't know which team is going to show up week to week. And I understand that they just faced two of the best defenses in the league, Baltimore, Cleveland, back-to-back weeks. And, you know. So that that's certainly fair to bring up. So Gino's struggling. Last four games, he has six interceptions. But if they're facing a competitive team, it, it's hard to trust them, even getting a lot of points. 
Yeah, as a part of it, Gino, as part of it, the offensive line when they face these really good defenses. Maybe it's a combination of both. I mean, I think we all probably expect expected some type of regression from Geno Smith since, since last yes. year. I wasn't sure if he could keep this up. So the inconsistency, not super shocking, but I think the offensive line deserves some blame here too for yesterday. What if the answer is nothing? What if the Seahawks turn out to be just fine in relation to the rest of the NFC, specifically the West? Because the Rams have fallen back down to reality. The Cardinals might be the worst team in football. And the 49ers, I think, are a relative unknown right now because that defense has become less trustworthy over the last couple of weeks. Brock Purdy has become less trustworthy over the last couple of weeks. Is it possible that what do we do with the Seahawks? They're just fine. It's the AFC is that much better than the NFC. And we're going to have outcomes like these from time to time where mm-hmm. a good NFC team just gets blasted. But the Seahawks still have a pretty good body of work that leads me to believe, yeah, they can still win the NFC West. Maybe they're not, maybe they can't win the one seed because the Eagles and Cowboys are still vying for that top spot. But can they win the division? Can they get a home game in the playoffs? Can they get a wild card spot? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah, they can because it's so weak, but is is that the reason? Mm-hmm. Uh, on a week-to-week basis, just trying to figure out. Now, look, <laughs> you better show up against Washington next week because that's what you yes. want. You got a quarterback going through your struggles. Here we go. Here's the Washington secondary. You better have some success there because if they don't next week, I I would say it's time to be concerned. And they still have to pay, face San Francisco twice and coming up, Right around the corner, they've got that month run. San Fran, Dallas, San Fran, Philadelphia. Good luck if you're going to continue playing like this. Mm -hmm. The other crazy thing is that um, Lamar Jackson trend against NFC teams. He just destroys them. Almost a perfect record (laughs) in his career. I know we like to do truth or trend. That was what we talked about last week. And he put a stamp on that once again. Yes. Just get yeah. to the Super Bowl, baby. Just get to the Super Bowl and make a name for yourself, Lamar, in the history <laughs> of the NFL. That's the way to do it. Speaking of guys who are more than impressing, how about CJ Stroud as the passing leader at 15 to 1, leading the Texans in a game-winning drive against the Bucks, 39 to 37. He sets a single game rookie passing record, 470 yards, five touchdowns. Is this Offensive Rookie of the Year competition officially over? It's close. It's one more performance away. It is really close to being over. Uh, Here's the underreported part of that. They needed every bit of those 470 yards. They barely won with a 470 (laughs) passing yard day from C.J. Stroud. Oh, man. I'm sorry if you had Houston minus two and a half. That is a bad beat. Not something that I was interested in any part of this game. I teased Tampa. That's all I did with this game. Uh, but, yeah, that, that that stinks. It is very close to being done. 8.0 yards per play for Houston. Stroud was awesome. Uh, who, could, who could battle him for this? I think A-Chan's going to come back. So what if he goes on the sort of run that we were seeing before the injury, but if Stroud stays healthy the rest of the season? Here's one thing we don't know. It's not going to be Bryce Young. It's not going to be him. 
That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I think it has dwindled the field to where there may be like two or three other yeah. guys who could conceivably win it, but there are no more dark horses when talking about this award. That's for darn sure. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, BetQL Courts. That's right here on the BetQL Network. Make a bad bet. You can't handle the truth. Take a bad beat. I I plead the fifth. Or just something you want to get off your chest. Sir, you're out of order. Out of order. I show you out of order. BetQL Court is now in session on BetQL Daily, presented by BetMGM. Oye, oye, Bethuel Court is now in session. The Honorable Eddie Gross, Joe Ostrowski, and Aaron Hawksworth presiding. Joe, who are you taking to court this week? All right. I'm not going to have any breaking news here, but it was just so frustrating yesterday. Officiating is close to making these games unwatchable and unbettable. And I wonder if it wasn't my job, Would I be sitting there all day, including in the morning, all the way to the conclusion of Sunday night football? I don't think I would. Even though I, as much as I love the NFL, there's so many frustrating moments. Uh, The the rules and what they enforce, I just don't understand. Couple cases, a couple points. KJ Henry, he sacks Mac Jones. It was a form tackle. He didn't do anything egregious. There was no leading with the head. There was no putting all of his body weight on top of Mac Jones. And they say it was roughing the passer. Like, as soon as the sack is made and they get to the ground, he just rolls off of Mac Jones, keeps it moving. Sack looked completely normal. And they extend the drive. They give the Patriots a few free points. I just, I, I don't understand what's happening. Like, when everybody lines up and has the same opinion on something and you're the outlier, maybe you need to look in the mirror. You have something wrong. The other one last night, early in the bills Bengals game, really taunting on Josh Allen because he (laughs) pointed at a player during the play when he was strolling into the end zone. Oh, you pointed. That's taunting. One more of those. You're Oh, we're, you're seriously going to eject Josh Allen from the game? Like, how does that even happen? If we're trying to save the children at the time, my son was like, that is a terrible call. I'm like, yes, you're <laughs> right. That is a terrible call. That is idiotic. And even you realize, like, that's just dumb. If we're trying to save the children, what are we doing? And, you know, just an aside. <sighs> Okay, so Scott Hansen, why <laughs> we 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 get it. Like just go from game sound to game sound. 
witching hour. It's exciting. We had a couple of really fun finishes in the early slate. Just go from game to game. I don't need you screaming over the broadcast, which we can also hear underneath, giving your own version of the play-by-play as people are giving you different instructions in your head. It's very confusing. Like, have both on there. Have the audio switching going back and forth. We don't need you giving play-by-play as well. But that's that's just me. It's my weekly issue with Scott Hansen. But, you know, even in – I had my own quad box going with YouTube, and that – I mean, that's great. But I usually have the audio, unfortunately for me, bad decision on Hansen because when you make the switch, when you change the audio, it, it's a delay for a few seconds, so you don't get it immediately. So I usually just leave it on – on red zone, the audio. So I don't make sure I'm not missing anything. And that was a bad job by me, but um, officiating whoever's enforcing it. My God, you need to be taken to court. It was really, there were some moments that were really terrible yesterday. Uh, so the Scott Hansen thing, first of all, oh, like God. it was extremely bad yesterday. I thought <laughs> the same thing. Like, why are you doing play by play? Nobody wants that. Like, we have the broadcasters and you're shouting over them. It was too much. It, it was really too much. And then it's his the cornball commentary, like, it's just, I think. Oh, and he's pat. He was patting himself on the back because he's talking about the 20th anniversary of NFL Network coming up. And he's, they're showing old mm-hmm. film of him. I'm like, can we go to the games? The games are going on. We're in the <laughs> second half now. Can, can we just stop with? I won't even say what they're doing to themselves, but seven hours back padding football. That's too much. Well, here's the other thing. Like, this is a solution I get from people on X. Like, oh, well, don't watch it. Okay. Because I have another option. They removed the other option. They removed the Siciliano one. Mm -hmm. So it's, I really don't have a choice. I have to watch it. It's kind of my job. Yeah, yeah, you you get paid to do such things. It's funny you brought up Sunday Night Football because I thought the more egregious uh, call was the intentional grounding where Josh Allen threw it a little offline of his receiver, basically trying to throw it away. But the fact that it wasn't over the head, like it wasn't that kind of trajectory, it was off to the right, that was considered intentional grounding. Like the words don't mean what they say. Like, do you understand the words that I write? Like it didn't make any sense that they called that intentional grounding and Allen got penalized for it. And here he is wearing a baseball cap going out onto the field, yelling about the call because it happened (laughs) so long ago. That to me was even worse than the taunting. Like guys, we have been around sports long enough to know that we know athletes who have said some insanely hurtful things, but pointing is somehow worse and that's penalizable. (laughs) But we've heard some words said in games in the heat of the moment. And you're like, wow, I can't believe your face didn't melt off hearing this or saying it yourself, but they don't get penalized. But pointing does. The intentional grounding bothered me a good bit more, but still, though, like there's a lot going on all day. I'm like, what is yeah. that? Yeah, you you could pick any game, and there's going to be something to be angry about. And like, look, right. stuff like pass right. interference—that's tough. That's tough. Those are tough calls a lot of a lot of the time. But the ones that we're bringing up, it is just so egregious. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Uh, Aaron, who are you taking to court? 
Tempted to put LSU in court after they just got destroyed by Alabama, but I saw an even more interesting story that had me thinking that people, as we know, have way too much time on their hands, okay? (laughs) So an Eagles assistant, I believe it's an Eagles assistant, he he kind of like a player from the Cowboys is running to the sideline. If you look at this video and the Eagles coach like bends, he kind of falls over to the ground to kind of dodge the player. And you, as you see him bend over, you see his underwear and it does. Someone said, why is like an Eagles coach wearing a red thong? First of all, I don't even know for sure it's a red thong, but like, what are people doing social media always undefeated the fact that multiple people saw this and were like another guy was like oh i thought i was the only one who saw it like what are you guys doing this is absolutely ridiculous that this is even a headline (laughs) i can't believe it and it's stupid and what if it's not even a thong like it could just be like a thicker band at the top of the underwear that's not a thong. Could be, or the I'm thing. watching the highlights. That's, That's not, a, not thong. a thong. I agree. <laughs> it's just a clicker. Not a thong. Yeah. No, Can we make not. that a Twitter poll? Was this a so thong, not a thong? So I think this guy's name is Matt Leo, and now he he will forever be associated for, you know, wearing a red thong, which I don't think he ever did. But now this is no. what he's going to be known for when you Google him. Poor guy. Right. I mean, fans dunk, should dunk, dunk, be. Dunk. I'm gonna call him Cisco. Fans should be penalized for this. <laughs> I would feel of violated. They did. He didn't you even. Know, I, yeah, he did nothing wrong. Zero. I, I I took a lot of grad level econ classes in my day, and I did have a classmate, a guy who for some reason wore very tight jeans and would bend over a lot for whatever reason to get stuff from his book bag. And there, you know, more than a couple of times, a couple of the classmates, again, grad level economics would see his thong and suffice to say, it was hard to pay attention to rather high level quantitative concepts because we saw something that we could have lived perfectly healthy lives without ever seeing. So yeah, did he sit in the front I, row? I get the sensitive nature of this. What's this? Did he, did he sit in the front row of the class and like do this yes, all did. the time? What wow. is he bending he over for? The, the front like, row. to back the backpack <laughs> well, under the chair to, or to something? like pick up his you know his notes or what have Oops, you? Like this I dropped back my in the day phone. When people actually, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. My phone. Oh, <laughs> right. I have to tie my shoes now. <laughs> And I can't bend my knees at all, ever. No. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't squat. do a squat like a normal human being. No. Right. Not the oh, slightest. Oh, weird. gosh. That was, it was a great class otherwise. It was a wonderful class, but that just made it a little challenging. And how do you write that in a class eval at the end of the semester? Like, hey, everything was great except the red thong I couldn't avoid. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> an exposing issue. There was an, yeah, exactly. Yeah, downgrade. Right. Yeah. I would have had an A plus in the class had it not been for the distractions that were not addressed. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I know I have besmirched USC at least once in BetQL court, but I feel like I need to run it back. Because 
They fired their defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch. Okay, fine. But the real people I need to send to court are the people who believe that it's the USC defense. That's why they are not contending for a national championship. No, 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 no. There has been a PR spin machine surrounding the Riley family for a long time, and it's got to stop right now. Lincoln Riley has done Caleb Williams a disservice. And The Athletic pointed out some of these ideas, and it's a great article when you can look it up. But when it comes to how poorly Caleb Williams has performed inside the pocket, using a lot of hitches, RPOs, and really conservative plays, he ranks 23rd. He, you know, his passes are largely shallow. And you think of Caleb Williams as someone who should be outside the pocket, who can turn something out of nothing, who can throw it deep. But Williams ranks 23rd in passer grade on PFF from throws beyond 20 air yards. On intermediate throws, he's 65th. His offensive line is doing him no favors. Lincoln Riley has put Caleb Williams in a bad spot. And if I had to run that kind of offensive playbook, then you know what? I would cry in my mom's arms and want to cuddle with my dog, too. (laughs) They're going to lose five of their last six, and I can't wait. And I felt bad for him. This is BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM. Coming up next, Jason Luckenfora tells us how good the Ravens really are. That's right here on the BetQL Network.